Lauren. Mike. Lauren, who is your favorite Peloton instructor? Ooh, that's such a good question. It's probably a toss-up between Robin, who is also the VP of fitness programming at Peloton, and Cody, of course. Everybody knows Cody. XOXO Cody. All right. I don't know who Cody is, and I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm looking forward to learning all about it because we're going to be talking about Peloton this week. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I am Michael Calori, a senior editor at Wired. I am joined remotely by my co-host, Wired senior writer Lauren Good. Mike, I think you need to lift your head up a little bit and just make sure your crown is on straight. <laughs> what? <laughs> Never mind. We'll get to this. Okay. Uh, we are also joined this week by Wired's digital director, Brian Barrett. Brian, welcome back to the show. Mike, thanks for having me. I'm going to start in zone one, but after that, we're going to be about three minutes in zone four, then we'll take it back to recovery in zone two, uh, and then we'll see where it goes from there. This is amazing. Uh, this is this is all just absolutely foreign territory to me. I just want you guys to know this. Today, we're going to be talking about Peloton, who you probably know as the maker of those super fancy exercise bikes. The company also makes a treadmill and runs a popular platform for streaming workouts to your home on demand. This week, Peloton announced two new pieces of hardware, the Peloton Bike Plus, which has a swivel touchscreen and a new, cheaper treadmill. Later in the show, we're going to talk about what the success of Peloton and other home workout systems means for the fate of gyms. Gyms, you remember those? The things you used to go to and sweat inside? Lauren wrote a story about the future of home gyms for Wired.com earlier this week, so we'll talk about that later in the show. But first, let's talk about what Peloton announced and why it matters. Now, Brian, I think you coming on the show means we are officially outing you to the world of Wired as a Pelotonk, which is the <laughs> demonym that I'm assigning to uh, people who do Peloton. What do you have to say for yourself? Uh, thank you, Mike. Peloton is a great phrase, and I embrace it. Um, I and yeah, I am. I have been a Peloton owner for about a year, uh, and I love it. Other than the fact that it's very expensive, but you get a lot out of it. And I want to like start by saying, you know, most people think about the bike when you think about Peloton. That was their first product. They've got the new one coming out. They've also got the tread. But my gateway into it was actually the app. Uh, I was a runner primarily and by by a runner i mean someone who went on long jogs once every six <laughs> weeks i don't need an actual runner but running is the workout that i did and I, I wanted a little bit more structure to it because i used to be a little bit more of a competitive athlete long like decades ago um and peloton had these great uh treadmill workouts where instead of just sort of setting a speed and a slight incline and just going steady for 45 minutes to an hour, which is what I would normally do. Uh, there was a variation in tempo and in hills, and it really felt like the workouts were structured to actually get results in a way that I had not done for myself and never would have done for myself. Uh, and from there, I went on to get the bike because, uh, you know, my wife, I work from home, so it was easy just to have something there. It sort of took away the last excuse. Um, that I could just hop on and then be done instead of having also that, you know, 15, 20 minute commute time to the gym and back. Um, and it's been great. And since then I've, I, you know, I, I primarily do the bike now. I do some, they have some outdoor workouts that I do. Uh, I've done some meditation at night for sleeping to help sleep, which is great. It knocks me out. Um, and, uh, and they have some other court you know, classes that 
are app-based that I don't do as much of. They've got strength. They've got yoga. Um, they've got a boot camp, which sounds scary. Um, <laughs> but is, no, that it's, like it's, the, it's, is that like the high-intensity interval training? You know, I, th- I think it's, it, it, it's when you rotate from strength training to the treadmill and then back. So it's sort of like, and I assume there's some high intensity there. Um, but I love about it, like Lauren mentioned at the top of the show, her two favorite instructors are, are probably Robin and, and Cody. Um, you know, mine are probably Matt and uh, Emma and Ben and Sam. Anyway, the point is there's a, so I've got so many. I just don't want to leave anyone out. But the point is there are so many different types of workouts you can do and types of instructors uh, that there really is something for everyone. My Peloton experience, I'm pretty sure, is very different from Lauren's in a great way because you can tailor it to not just the types of things you're doing, but the the people who are instructing it, the music that you're listening to. Um, And again, other than being a very expensive upfront purchase, uh, it, it really is effective at what it does. I want to ask you both to talk about um, what the new hardware says about where Peloton is going. Because something that we mentioned in the intro, uh, the new bike has a screen that swivels, so you can sort of use it as a a television next to the bike, so you can do stuff on the floor next to it. Um, What what does that add to the experience based on, like, in addition to what it has now? Yeah, that's a really good question, Mike. And we should note, too, that recently Roku started supporting a Peloton app. So there are people who now cast their Peloton classes to a larger screen, and that maybe enables them to ride the bike but then hop off and do other kinds of classes. Or even prior to the Roku app, people had figured out ways to cast their Peloton classes from the giant tablet, which is just essentially an Android tablet, to larger screens. So I think... To me, what the new products say about Peloton is that they're really just more interested in getting you into the content. They want you paying that monthly subscription fee of $39 a month. So, and that's the subscription, by the way, for people who have the expensive equipment. You can also just use the Peloton app on your iPhone or iPad or Android tablet for $12.99 a month. But I think they want, they just want your eyeballs glued to their content as much as possible. So by doing the swivel screen on the bike, you do a cycling class, but then you hop off and you do boot camp because you're able to just <laughs> whip the screen around, right? They've also introduced some auto control features on the bike now. So you just stay more focused on the screen and participating in the class. And then the your resistance is sort of controlled remotely. That's also the same strategy with their treadmill, I think, too, right? The first treadmill they came out with in 2018 was really expensive. It was $4,000. It's big. It's like a Woodway treadmill with that same kind of slap belt. Um, and now they're lowering the price of they're introducing a new lower cost treadmill because the more important thing to them is that you actually just subscribe and keep your eyes glued to the screen well i think that i think that point too i i I agree with you completely that the swivel on the bike is pushing people to look at other classes right so uh so you become not just a bike person but you're also a strength person or a boot camp person at the same time, I, I think the point of the treadmill applies there too, because the, the the they were able to cut the price of the bike that doesn't have the swivel treadmill, right? So there's the, the swivel uh, screen. So it it opens up your audience a little bit more on the lower end if you don't care about a swivel screen, which I, I personally don't. I use the Roku app if I want to do a strength exercise or my phone if I want to do a, a meditation or something like that. Um, so you're sort of going both directions with it, which is sort of, a, I think it's a smart, smart move. Still 
very expensive, uh, no matter how you cut it. But, um, but again, it's, I, I have never had a piece of exercise equipment that I used as consistently, uh, as this over a full year so far. Well, that's saying something. I completely agree though. I mean, for a long time, you know, home exercise equipment was a bit of a joke because people would buy it with such hopes and high expectations. And then ultimately it would become a coat hanger. It's in the basement. You haven't used it in a while. And I use this so consistently. And I will say that I think Peloton has inadvertently built a pretty healthy social network around this too. Although I don't know like exactly what their social chops were in the beginning, but it's it's certainly evolved into that. Because now I have friends who will message me and say, like, hey, I'm about to hop on the Peloton. Are you free? Do you want to do a class together? They're high fives, virtual high fives you can send each other. They were very ahead of the curve with regards to the pandemic Peloton because you give virtual high fives. You don't even have to touch anybody. Uh, You know, that's kind of a fun thing to do. They really celebrate milestones like your 100th ride, which I just did. And I'm pretty sure Brian did a long time ago. Uh, so they, yeah, they've built a kind of a community around it that makes you want to go to the equipment that you've spent so much money on and not just treat it like a coat rack. Lauren, have you used as part of that social push, have you used the Peloton's weirdest feature, which is the, the fact that the bike has a webcam built into the tablet, which is just the weirdest thing you, and it's, it's there so that you can actually, you can, you have. I Please have I've used it tell like two us. Or, okay, I've used it like two or three times. Okay, so fun tell fact fun fact about this. Back when I reported on Peloton in twenty seventeen for my prior publication, The Verge, I did uh, like a review that kind of ended up turning into a feature because I ended up talking to all these people who were so into Peloton and it really underscored the pull of this product. And I found out through a source that Michelle Obama had a Peloton, and this source told me that she had a modified Peloton because uh, there were some security concerns about her having a a webcam, right? Like a a camera that essentially, like, you know, could capture, like, the room the First Lady's in or what she's doing. And so, uh, (laughs) in one of the, the probably least important emails that the press office of Michelle Obama ever received... I, you know, had to write a note as part of my fact-checking process and just say, like, you know, I have I have a, uh, information that tells me this. And, like, does does the first lady have a Peloton and does she have a modified version of the tablet? Which was very funny. And they, I think they politely declined to answer. Uh, but it does have a webcam. And um, I've tried it with friends a couple times. So what happens is once you and a friend are following each other, like you went on a social network and you're working out together, when you go to the side of the, the right side of the screen where you can sort of see what your friend is up to and their output and all that, there's a button that says video chat. And so sometimes after a friend and I do a virtual ride together afterwards, we do like to chat, you know, say, hey, great job. Oh, hey, how are things going? And so I've tried it a couple times. And I just tried it last night with a friend who completed her 100th ride, her century ride. But because yesterday happened to be like one of the smokiest, most apocalyptic days in the history of the Bay Area, no exaggeration, uh, there was no light where I was, so where I was working out. So I just was like, and it was also very dark where she was, but then she turned the lights on inside. So it was like the two of us like trying to have this video chat and I'm in the dark and I can't really hear her. And the anyway, we ended up doing the thing which has happened every single time we tried this. So I go, I'm going to call you on FaceTime now. And we hang up, pick up the phone, call each other on FaceTime. So I would love for there to be some kind of integration with the Peloton tablet where it's like actually a good video chat app. But more likely you're just going to chat with you know your friends on the phone like you normally would. So, Brian, I take it you've never used that. 
I I put a big old piece of tape on it as soon as I could. <laughs> no thanks. So one last point before we move on that I want to make sure that we make. Uh, if you are one of those people who went out and bought a piece of exercise equipment, like an exercise bike or like a treadmill, uh, you can just take an iPad or set up a television with a Roku connected to it in front of that piece of exercise equipment and subscribe to um, Peloton's platform and then do your exercises with the equipment that you already have, right? So if you want to be a part of this world and you're interested in it, you don't have to invest the you know thousands of dollars in a new exercise bike. You can just use the one that you already own. That's true. Uh, in the before times, you could just plop an iPad uh, on or a, or a phone even uh, on gym equipment, and that would be fine. Um, now that's obviously not as feasible. Um, but yeah, in general, I think there is a lot there especially as they're expanding into outdoor runs and stuff that doesn't require equipment at all, really, um, that it's worth looking into. Although I think Lauren has a better sense of once you get into that territory, there are a lot more competitive products that you should look at also, right? I think uh, there, there are a lot of broad-based workout apps, so um, you, you, don't, you definitely don't need the equipment. No, and you lose the metrics. I think that's the thing. When you... Yeah. And I have a friend who's a runner, and she just she downloaded the Peloton app and bought a super cheap used treadmill and she's pretty happy with that experience because she finds the peloton coaching in her ear as she's running to be just as good for her but for people who invest in the equipment really like that the equipment itself is connected to the app experience all of the things that people you know data data driven or data interested people like to see as they're working out that won't come from just the app alone. You don't have a leaderboard. You can't compete against friends. You won't see your output. And you know what? Also, Brian brought up a great point, which is space. I mean, I'm not getting the treadmill because I can't afford it and I don't have space and I don't particularly want a treadmill. But I think just in general, this category of product for people is fairly inaccessible. It's expensive and it takes up a lot of room and we're seeing all kinds of new internet connected products come to market that offer to be like these all-in-one gym experiences um, for a lot of people though they're probably just going to miss paying ten dollars a month to go to planet fitness and lug around some weights <laughs> and we'll talk about that specific issue uh in the next segment so let's take a break and we'll come back in a minute welcome back like just about every other industry, public gyms have taken a hit during the pandemic. As people grapple with the ongoing need to socially distance, they've turned to home workout solutions like Peloton and others. In many cases, these alternatives are more cost-effective and convenient than going to the gym. So when gyms do finally start to open up again, are people ever going to want to go back to them? Now, Lauren, I want to ask you, if everything suddenly went back to normal right now, would you go back to the gym? Oh, I mean, if things went actually back to normal, yeah, I think I would. But I would probably be more inclined to go to a place that has a more specific approach, like a yoga studio, than I would like a big box gym. Um, I do miss the gym, though. I, I'm one of those people where I miss both the 
the actual social aspect of the gym where you see people you know and you say hello and you chit chat and then that kind of ambient idea of other people are working out around you and so you shouldn't really like slack off because there are other people around or sometimes you look around and you see someone is doing something interesting with a bosu ball or a cable that you've never seen before and you're thinking you get ideas you're like i should do that like i actually kind of i miss that um and I will say, too, this is a strange thing to say, but I used to shower a lot at the gym. Like when I was done, I would use the showers because it's part of the fee. And I'm like, why not? So like, I don't think I, I probably bought like actual shampoo at home, <laughs> you know, maybe like once every six months or something, because I was always just washing my hair at the gym. <laughs> so I was like, this is great. Less plastic waste. And like, <laughs> anyway, it's like small things like that, that I, small but big things that I miss about the gym. But I would not go back now in this in this scenario that we're in with covid and i don't even know if i would go back like if case numbers got really low but we still didn't have a vaccine like i'd have to feel very confident about the experience i walked through a a ymca recently on the way to an outdoor tennis court for my kids um, tennis lessons and there were people in there running on the treadmill and lifting weights and it was it it felt weird to see that it was and i wanted to sort of grab them by the workout equipment and say are you are you mad it's a pandemic but were I they wearing masks no many of them were not uh, I th- they do a temperature check when you go in the door but otherwise it was pretty lawless um Oof. and and then in terms of my own personal i would go back to a gym for a treadmill partly because i live in alabama and it has been 100 degrees out every day for the last two months and I, I it's hard to run outside in that so but otherwise I got my own shampoo got all the shampoo I need right here well now I do that's actually something that we're grappling with uh here in California where Lauren and I are um it's you know the air quality is really bad because of the the wildfires and it has been for the last two or three weeks so in the Bay Area, it's difficult for us to run outside or basically do anything outside where you're, you know, respirating a lot. Um, then again, also, you know, you're running with a mask uh, because it's the, the, the best thing to do for um, the public health. Uh, so you don't uh, endanger yourself or the people around you um, for getting infected with the coronavirus. And it's really changed the dynamic out on the streets, but I will say that here, like before the air quality got bad, it was very crowded out on the streets in in my neighborhood in particular, um, to the point where the city actually shut down a couple of streets to car traffic. So they were pedestrian traffic only. Uh, and those sort of turned into like the streets where you run. That's what it is between like sun up and about eight o'clock in the morning. It's just, you know, a person every 10 seconds going by. Uh, running down the street. So I honestly, I don't miss the gym experience and I don't miss the social experience just because my neighborhood has kind of recreated that uh, at least, you know, as long as the, uh, as long as the air quality held up. And then when that went South because of the wildfires, it drove everybody back indoors. It's There's some things you just can't do at home though, right? Like if I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I don't do a lot of weights, but if I were a weights person, I would be very frustrated right now, right? Because A, they're sold out everywhere uh, if you wanted to get dumbbells, and B, if you want to do something beyond dumbbells, with which people who actually care about weights do, what are your choices? How do you how do you do heavy squats and deadlifts right now? I guess you just don't, and all our all our favorite muscle people are wasting away. Is that what's going on? <laughs> you buy really expensive 
large boxes of cat litter and you just start lifting weights yeah. with those. Or just go to Costco and just find an aisle with something especially large, like big dog food bags, and just start moving pallets. <laughs> yes. I invested in a, a medicine ball uh, many years ago, maybe like six, seven years ago. And for most of the time that I've owned it, it just sits in my living room and I stare at it and I go, wow, that's a beautiful medicine ball. <laughs> it's like a handmade leather medicine ball. Um, but lately I've been using it because I've been stuck inside. And if I go outside, my, my throat closes up and my eyes burn. So it's actually been kind of nice during wildfire season to have something that I can work out with, but you know, it's just a medicine ball. There's only so many things you can do with it and you can't do too many squats. I would encourage you to use whatever tools you have available to you, Mike. The medicine <laughs> ball sounds great. Yes. And if the medicine ball is occupied, I just, I just squat with my cats. <laughs> one on each shoulder um lauren i want to go back to a point that you made earlier uh you, you drew a distinction between um big corporate gyms and smaller boutique workout experiences like yoga studios um i would like you to say more about that yeah so i think that's something first of all that anecdotally i feel i feel a little bit more loyalty to a small local fitness studio or even a small local gym chain than I do necessarily something that is a franchise that's big and is everywhere else, you know, everywhere around the country. Um, but it's something that I also heard when I spoke to one one particular CEO of a fitness software company called FitGrid. Uh, they're kind of like a, the way I would probably describe it, although I don't know if they would describe it this way, is like a sales force for boutique fitness studios. They provide customer management software, but then they also provide some streaming services and streaming video integrations with Zoom and that sort of thing. So they've really tried to help more fitness studios get online and and particularly during this pandemic. And the founder, NT Etiuk, said something similar to me, which is that they're what they're seeing is that people would feel a little bit more loyalty if things ever quote unquote go back to normal um, towards, you know, a small boutique studio or a place where they feel like they have a relationship um, versus one of the the bigger chains. And the bigger chains are suffering during the pandemic. Uh, I've been following some of the reports in the Wall Street Journal about this, you know, 24-hour fitness worldwide, Gold's Gym, uh, they filed for Chapter 11 during this time, New York Sports Club, Lucille Roberts, they're not doing so well. Um, No, there are exceptions to that. When you think about something like Planet Fitness, you know, Planet Fitness is... $10 $10 a month. It's super cheap. They don't offer like basketball courts or pools or fancy classes, right? They just, they have a lot of weights and machines. They tend to be much bigger spaces. And for some people that $10 a month is like a somewhat negligible cost. So maybe in the long term, a chain like that might actually still be able to sort of keep afloat because people will feel like it's worth it to pay that kind of cost to have the chance to occasionally go into a gym and like lift weights. Yeah, otherwise, I think that there could be this thing happening where you start to see like much more verticalization in fitness and much more focus on like very specific products at home, your local yoga studio, maybe that's able to offer some classes outdoors um, or offers a hybrid of in-person classes and streaming classes. I think people are going to be looking for something that, this sounds really corny to say, but something that they feel a connection with as opposed to the big box gym that you're like already sort of resentful that you have to pay such a high monthly cost. You know, and I think 
because of the pandemic driving so many of us indoors this year, people's habits have changed. Uh, their expectation of what a workout is has changed. A lot of people have made um, investments in things like a Peloton, you know, piece of workout equipment, uh, something like the mirror or tonal, these systems that mount to your wall and offer you uh, sort of a guided experience over the internet. They've made these investments, either that or they've just changed their habits so much that when it comes time to make the switch back to what they knew before, they may not be as ready to make that switch because they either like this new thing more or they've bought this thing that they've installed in their home and now they're invested in it and this is what they should be using instead of going back to a facility. This is this is a bad analogy, but I'm going to go for it. Uh, I wonder, like, well, in the same way that bookstores and even video stores that are still around have had to adapt to be more community centers than focused on things that people can get at home, will gyms have to do that in a little bit too, right? I mean, obviously not right now. Not It's not the, the type of equipment that can replace a gym, at least in part, is still, again, very expensive and, and pro- prohibitively in most cases. Uh, but is there a point at which home exercise equipment and home classes and the streaming of home classes becomes so accessible that gyms have to sort of rethink what they offer um, and, and what they are uh, in order to continue staying viable? Um, do they become more like YMCAs, which are sort of more well-rounded anyway, community-focused organizations that have a gym as a center part of it? Uh, probably not. But it's a question I'm asking. Mike, give me the answer. <laughs> I think that if you take all of the racquetball courts and turn them into um, different rooms for like DJs, different styles of music, you could approximate uh, like a midnight rave. You could have like the, the the fast techno in one room, like the basketball court could be the big, you know, techno room. And then the uh, the small like racquetball court could be the chill out space. And you could have like smart drinks and oxygen tanks and sort of beanbag chairs everywhere. I I would go to the gym for that. Wait, this is all virtual or in person? No, this is in person. This is like post-vaccine America. This is what the gym okay. looks like. Okay. The gym of the yeah. future. It's it's a it's techno party at night and a techno party during the day too. Why not? You know, I think people will be so excited to go to anything that resembles a party that sign me up. Sign me up for this future gym membership. I'm there. Mm-hmm. <gasps> all right. Well, uh, that about does it for our discussion about working out at home. And we are going to take a break now. And when we come back, we'll talk about our recommendations. Okay, welcome back. Brian Barrett, this works just like baseball, where the guest bats first. So tell us, what is your recommendation? Thanks, Mike. I'm going to recommend Hilary Mantel's Thomas Cromwell trilogy, three books about the rise and fall of Thomas Cromwell in the court of Henry VIII, uh, Wolf Hall, Bring Up the Bodies, and The Mirror and the Light. Uh, it, they're great. Two of them, the first two won the Booker Prize, which is a big prestigious uh, literary award in England. The third one is shortlisted, I believe, or longlisted. It's on A-list for the Booker Prize this year. Uh, and it's a great journey. The last one, I'm, I'm partly a stop of mind because I just finished uh, The Mirror and the Light. It only took me two months to get through, but it was worth it. Um, so yeah, those those books together. So it's like an ultra marathon kind of reading experience. 
Yeah, that's a good way to... Mike, it, we've gone from baseball to ultramarathon in a span of 90 seconds. I love it. I also understand bowling references, so I'll throw a couple of those in later. Um, can Lauren, you spare us one? Oh, no. Can you, can you spare... <laughs> uh, get your mind out of the gutter. Well, Lauren, what is your recommendation? My recommendation has been recommended at least twice before on this show by our Wired colleagues, but I started watching it last weekend. I'm on episode 10, and it is as good as everybody says. It's I May Destroy You, which is currently available on HBO or HBO Max or HBO Go or HBO, whichever HBO app you have, since we all tend to be a little bit confused by them. It's there. Um, Michaela Cole has written, stars in it. She co-directs it. She's amazing. She's completely captivating. I do need to warn listeners um, that uh, it does include subject matter related to sexual assault. So that could be something that is certainly triggering and very upsetting for some people. Uh, That said, if you choose to watch it or you feel like you can watch it, I think it's absolutely worth it. And I think it's brilliant. So I may destroy you. For the third time on Gadget Lab podcast, I'm recommending it. Nice. Mike, what's your recommendation? I would like to recommend a YouTube channel run by Reverb.com. So back in the day when you wanted to buy a guitar or a bass or a set of drums or any type of musical equipment on the internet, you had to go to eBay or you had to go to Craigslist. And then uh, maybe about seven or eight years ago, this company came along called Reverb and they started this marketplace for used and new but mostly used musical instruments Uh, and it's really become like the hub on the internet for people who want to buy and sell music gear they have a youtube channel which uh you know basically tells you like what to look for when you're buying a distortion pedal or what the difference is between a Mexican Stratocaster and an American Stratocaster. You know, sort of like buying advice for people who shop. But lately, this summer, they've done a lot more uh, video tutorials about making music at home. So how to get new and cool sounds out of synthesizers, um, ways to mic up a guitar amp so you can record music at home. And as a musician and as somebody who records music in my home, I have been uh, infatuated by this YouTube channel. I've just gone back and watched like the last three or four months worth of content uh, just in the last week or so. Um, these videos are, are fun, they're informational, and they're the type of thing that even if you're not a super crazy gearhead, you would still benefit from and you still might enjoy watching because they're sort of soothing and fun and you know just done in a real entertaining way. So that is my recommendation that you subscribe to Reverb's YouTube channel. Thank you, Mike. I can always rely on you to offer recommendations around music since I just really am clueless when it comes to that. So thanks for that. Sure. DIY music. (laughs) DIY music. All right. Well, that is our show for this week. Thanks again to Brian Barrett for joining us. Thank you for having me. As always, thank you all for listening. If you have any feedback, you can find all of us on Twitter. Just check the show notes. This show is produced by Boone Ashworth. Our executive producer is Alex Kappelman. Goodbye, and we'll be back next week.